Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, these makers became founders and lived the lives they deserve. Because of that, these founders live lives of abundance, freedom, and creativity. That's what I'm really all about. Hello, my name is Aziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa, with no opportunities, just sheer hard work to failing, multiple startups yet learning a whole lot to barely escaping alive the war in Ukraine, even living as an illegal immigrant, I've lost everything twice, and now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day, sharing the wisdom of luminaries I've interviewed on this podcast from Google executives to Amazon, Microsoft, Forbes Technology Council, Harvard Financial Times, Goldman Sachs, and even a priest from the Vatican Church. Everyone is welcome here. So let's begin. My guest today is Eric Melkor. Eric is the host of the fun startup podcast, Innovators Can Laugh. He works as a partnership ambassador at Bonjoro. Eric describes himself as a mediocre tennis player. He is a Texan expat living in Romania. Eric, how are you today? Hey, Aziz, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. I'm looking forward to explore your mind and your thoughts and everything. So is there something that you're thinking about these days that's important in your life or an insight you're trying to apply more of, a problem you're trying to solve, or something that is demanding your attention again and again and again? Yeah, that would be more time, more time to do the things that I'm passionate about. And those things are spending quality time and activities with my kids, growing my podcast, making it better, and then also just doing really good quality work for Bonjuro, uh, which is uh, a good startup and it's a job that I love. So it's just finding that time to do all of these things to the level that I want to do them in. Thank you. And let's go deeper into this because I love one of my favorite essays is Bertrand, Bertrand Russell, Bertrand Russell's uh, In Praise of Idleness, which is from the 1930s. And he speaks about how the more machines we have, or nowadays the more technology, supposedly we should have more time, but we end up with overworking even more, multiplying our work needs because of those technologies, machines, and all that. So I'll ask you a simple question that I have been thinking about a lot, which is this. Is it that the standards that are demanded of us because of the technology and the elevation of uh, the ability to do work are much higher and therefore we need more time to reach those? Or the technologies are not delivering on their promises. They're being some kind of like entertainment where I know some people, they learn some productivity methods and they spend more time optimizing the method than using it. (laughs) 
what's your perspective on this? I think it's the latter. I think people uh, just have this inability to focus now because they have all these interruptions. They get these notifications on their phone and uh, they get, you know, all of a sudden they go down this rabbit hole of uh, scrolling on something on an application or maybe they're on Twitter or Instagram. And so I think it's the latter as ease. <laughs> so if we already know the problem, why is it so difficult to solve? Well, I think it's a pretty easy solution for people who are just really focused on one thing, right? Um, whereas somebody who is trying to maybe do a side hustle in addition to doing, who has a job, in addition to being a parent. Now, that's where it gets a little bit complicated because you just don't have the kind of hours that you would if you were just really doing one thing. You know, me, I'm juggling four different things, parenting, podcasting, my job, and then also another project that I really don't share, but it's close to my heart. And so it's just that that's where the struggle comes in and, and the, obstacle, the obstacles come in. Thank you. That makes me think of the Parkinson's law, which is that any task you have will expand to fill whatever time you have it in. And therefore, the logical conclusion based on that is to literally limit the time you will spend on those specific activities or like a wonderful, wonderful book is called The Now Habit, where he says, schedule time with family, fun time first in your week, and then the rest, put it for work so that you're not every day looking forward to even more work. You have some exciting sprinkled things all around. What do you think about this? That one, I'm, I'm not, I, I definitely think that you need to schedule fun time. Um, you know, one of the things that I do is at least once a week, I make it a point to try to meet with friends, engage with friends. It's very, very important because for me, true wealth is in addition to not just income, but true wealth is the number of personal relationships that you have, good quality relationships, good friendships. And so I, I do like that approach that you are making time on your schedule to spend time with family and friends. So I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, you know, once a year, I, I schedule a trip with just me and my, my, my buddies, friends that I've known for years, that if I didn't schedule this trip, chances are I could probably go an entire year without seeing them. But it's a good trip. It keeps us all engaged. It keeps the friendship type. Friendship type. We all look forward to it. And it's, and it's, it's just strengthening that, that friendship and those bonds that we had developed over the years and making sure that they're still there, that they just don't, uh, that they just don't evaporate over time because of the lack of not being able to see each other. So I, I agree with that statement. Thank you. Uh, I want to speak about relationships and all that because it's very important, but still I want to stay on that point a bit more. Maybe it's a redundant question, but it's a different angle on the same thing. Should we have everything? Because I remember someone in a sitcom once said, the day you, you'll die, you'll be as busy as today. <laughs> Which means, <laughs> like, look, work never ends, uh, working out never ends, uh, whatever it is, time with family, you can always add more. It's a never-ending thing. So should we go for this idea of exceptionalism where you should have some amazing everything in every way? Or should we satisfy, which is, to have good enough and everything so that we will have balance in a way that doesn't burn us out. I, I definitely think that, you know, we should be satisfied with what we have. It's at least just a greater happiness. You'll be content in life. You'll be, 
less stress, less anxiety. You're not in this rat race to, to try to, you know, get some achievement or some goals accomplished. But if you are content where you are, if you can, if you can at least every night before you go to sleep and jot down two or three things that you're grateful for, at least that's just what, that's what I do. It's one of the things I do for my life. Then you'll find out that you actually have a really good life, a very happy life. If you can be, if you can learn to be satisfied and content with what you've accomplished or where, or where you are right now in life. So that, that's what I think. Thank you. I still believe that's much harder to do than just to imagine, because this is my belief. We live in a society that, of course, wants to progress. But because of that, there is this pressure for people to aim to be uh, to overwork, to never be satisfied. Why? Because individually, most people will fail. But on average, if you will succeed and those will change society and the future, it's like in entrepreneurship where 98% of the people fail basically and waste time and money while 2% they become unicorns and the next like big shot or whatever who brings the next innovation and to the marketplace, to society, to the economy, that's good compared to if everybody was satisfied and never tried to go for the exceptional. Therefore, how to fight being in the matrix where every string is pulling on you like a puppet, whether it's social media or whatever, in order for you to do more, to work harder, to never rest, to sleep negative two hours a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, depending on where you are in life, I mean, if you're in your 20s or 30s, you should be ambitious. You should be working 60 plus hours a week, right? At least, at least that's how I feel. But when you are, when you do be, have a family, when you get a little bit older in life, you realize, okay, what do I really want out of life? How do I, how can I design my life for happiness? And that's the point where I'm at right now. I, I looked at my life and I, I thought about, okay, what, what don't I like doing? What, what don't I like? Um, and, and I just put everything on paper. And so I look back and I think, Okay, I don't like being in traffic, you know, spending a lot of time in traffic, right? So I, I changed I changed that. Right now I can walk my kids to school. I can take a little scooter or walk to the co-share space. It's so much, so much relief and so much less anxiety than I had previously, right? I changed where I live. So now now our bills are almost cut in half and we're not really worried about paycheck to paycheck or living, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. We uh, can save a lot more. So I, I'm at the stage where I've designed or I am designing my life for happiness. And uh, I think for most people that that never that thought process never really occurs to them, or if it does occur to, occur to them, it happens too late in life. They can't really do much about it because they're tied down with their career. They, uh, they don't feel like they can make a change in their career or their living situation that maybe they feel stuck and that they have high expenses now and they've got to stay in the same job in order to uh, cover those expenses. So I feel very good where I'm at right now. I mean, I had a change, big change of career moving into SaaS uh, about a year ago, coming from a real retail electricity background where I worked for large companies and now I'm at a startup. <laughs> and so it's been very drastic changes in my life over the past two years. And uh, I, I, 
I'm just so much happier than I, the person I was in what, the situation I was uh, just a little, you know, over a couple of years ago. And so I'm not as ambitious that I used to be, but I, in a way I, I still am because previously I didn't have this opportunity to work on a side hustle, this podcast that I'm growing. And, and, and now I am, I'm meeting all kinds of new people, um, developing all these new friendships. And even though it's at a good place where it is right now, I still want it to grow. I still am a little bit hungry. So my mythology of what I do with that ambition, what I do with that time has changed. I used to be a very self-reliant person where I would try to figure the answer myself. I would go read as much as I could. I would listen to different podcasts. I would really focus in on trying to solve it by myself, whatever the solution was or whatever the, the hurdle that I was trying to overcome. Now I think back and I think, okay, um, I, I've got this obstacle in my life. Who can I reach out to? Uh, to help me. So I'll give you an example right now. Uh, my podcast downloads, they've kind of stalled. They're no longer growing. And so instead of the, the, the person that I used to be, instead of like trying to figure it out and think, okay, let me work on the marketing, on the copywriting, how I position it, how I distribute it. Instead, I actually reached out to other podcast, podcast hosts and said, hey, how about forming a little podcast peer group? We can just get together on a call, discuss things that are working for you, different strategies, different tactics. You know, we all share our insights. And this has been a tremendous help for not just my podcast, but I think for everybody that's a part of the group. And so it's a different, it, it's a different tactic that, that I'm doing now versus what I would have done years ago. Um, you know, just trying to, just trying to accomplish everything and be self-reliant. So I, I, I feel like I've grown a, grown a tremendous, um, with, with this approach and who I am and trying how I focus on, on different tactics. But anyway, I'm running off on a tangent there, but how I've designed my life now um, is, is a great point in my life where I am. Um, and, and so I, I kind of forgot the original question here, Aziz, <laughs> if you can help me out. <laughs> no worries. I have other questions. I noticed you mentioned relationships three times in the beginning you spoke about the importance of quality relationships in your life. And then you spoke about trips with your buddies every year in order to keep and maintain those relationships. And now how podcasting is a source of new relationships and alliances and friendships for you. So what's your thought or perspective or theory of friendships? How do you network? And how, like, not me, but... I'm speaking for my audience. A lot of founders know a lot of people, but they either don't dare or don't know how to or anything, either ask for help or find a way to build a relationship that is helpful to both or whatever it is. Can you share the way you do it? Sure, absolutely. I mean, my thought on friendships, a friendship to me is somebody that I can reach out to and I can entrust with a very important task. Uh, maybe it's like, Hey, I've got an emergency. I can attend. I've got to go, go to, can you watch my kids for, for a couple of hours? Right. If that person, you know, is more than willing to do it. If it's somebody that I trust to reach out to, to me, that, that is a friendship. Right. So I think people, sometimes people get confused between acquaintances versus friendships. 
you know, acquaintances is somebody that, you know, you'll go out and maybe have lunch with or get together with, go to their birthday party or, or, or whatever. But are they truly a friendship? I mean, are they going to be there for you in a time of need? And so I, I really like taking the time of developing a friendship. How do I do that? Well, you know, to give you an idea, when I started this podcast, I started reaching out because, because I interview startup founders, I really focused on Romanian startup founders because after all, I'm living in Romania. And during the interview and even after the interview, if it was somebody that I just felt like I clicked with, who I felt like this would be a good friendship, then I made it a point to let's put a date on the calendar. Let's get together over the weekend. Let's get together over dinner or, or whatever. And after interviewing probably 20 different Romanian founders, I can say a good seven or eight of those have become really good friendships. People that I see on a consistent basis now, people that have gotten to know me and my family and you know, they're, they're friends now. And that has made the experience of living abroad, living in a foreign country so much better because now it's not just my wife and her family that I've gotten to know, but it's these other people that I've gotten to know. I've gotten to know their families. I've gotten to know their backgrounds, their stories, and it's just made the experience so much better. And so that's one way I develop friendships. And um, the, the other way too is on, on Twitter or LinkedIn, you know, because of COVID, you don't really get out as much and go to these, these different events and person events. And so anybody that I've gotten a chance to engage with repeatedly, I will actually invite them to a, just a virtual coffee shot and get on a Zoom call with them, get to know them a little bit better, talk to them, uh, you know, in real time. And um, a few of these, you know, a few of these people, I would say, wow, I would really love to meet them in person if there's the opportunity to. And actually, I'm going to meet one person in a couple of weeks. My wife and I are going to Spain for a wedding. And one of these people that I actually uh, met over Twitter, we're going to have lunch with her when we, when we get there because she lives in Madrid. And so that's that's the other way um, how I how I develop these friendships is is just inviting people to a virtual coffee who I had a chance to engage with over over social media. Thank you. This is really interesting. And you mentioned also the jump or the change from working. I think you, you mentioned an electric or the electric field to SaaS now. Is this correct? Yes, that's correct. How that's is correct. it? What's your perspective on SaaS? Do you believe it's the future? Uh, like what's your whole thing? As well as something very important. You spoke about having much more stability now that you work for a startup, etc. But by definition, startups are risky. They can go bankrupt any moment. They're not like a corporate or a blue chip thing. So how do you handle that? Or you don't even think about it? Well, I don't, I don't really think about it because in, in Texas where I worked, and I worked for large even large retail electricity companies, even some that were publicly traded, um, being in a director role where I had teams. Well, in Texas, it's your employer can lay, can lay you off without no reason. And that's what actually happened a couple of times in my career. Walked in one day, found out 30% of the company was being laid off and uh, had to sit in a, in, a, in a room with HR and them let me know and some of my other other staff know that we were no longer you know employed that it was our last day had to witness my uh, one of my colleagues who was on my team 
um, who was seven months pregnant, you know, cry right next to me and ask the question, you know, what's going to happen with my insurance because I'm pregnant. And so I, I've been in that situation before. And again, with COVID happened, uh, when the company made some, you know, drastic cuts um, and realized, okay, we're probably not going to hit our sales quota. Let's lay off some people. And so I, I've experienced that multiple times. So being at a startup, uh, sure, it's risky, but hey, <laughs> I've already experienced that going to work. And and oh, Eric, this is your last day, by the way. So it's it's like I've been there, done that. I don't have any any fear of. Um, something going wrong. And all of a sudden I no longer have a job. <laughs> Does that make sense, Aziz? Yes, I understand that in the US or like you mentioned in Texas, there is that ability to just lay off someone. So you're used to it. And that makes me also think because I was speaking to someone else, when you're dealing with startups, especially, you don't know the average or the salary or whatever is happening. It's not like those companies where you can have the uh, blue glass door or whatever websites telling you. How do you know? It's not only for you, but I know people who are side hustling in the no-code community and they get jobs and startups. And then they think, am I getting underpaid for all the work? Because I don't know about you, but many startups, you begin in one position and suddenly you end up with 3.5 jobs that you're responsible for <laughs> and things pile up. So how do you know you're getting paid fairly? How do you negotiate? Do you negotiate the salary? How do you ensure? Because all startups, of course, will try to save on salaries in order to hire more people or spend more on marketing or whatever. But there is this black box where you don't know how much they're paying anybody. And sometimes even this, and this is a funny story, where uh, there was someone who was working very hard uh, when I joined some startup, I said, okay, I want the same salary as him. And they were like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> He's an investor, so he get, doesn't get paid at all. And I'm like, dude, you're trying to abuse me. <laughs> so they were saying, well, he will get paid when the company like gets sold or whatever. That's why he's hustling so hard uh, for it. And so uh, let me know your perspective on this. Okay. Well, I, I understand where the founder is the position that they're in, right? You know, they have a goal to get to a certain amount of ARR or MRR, and I, they can't afford the high salaries. They can't afford the high salaries for the talent that they're seeking. So I understand that. And so that's where I feel like, you know, anybody who's joining a startup that's going to be in a role where they have uh, a responsibility um, to be, you know, to drive revenue uh, to help the business grow, they should get some sort of equity in their compensation. And so that that's, you know, that's one of the reasons that you would take a lower salary is because you are getting that equity. And so that's, that's the position that I'm in. And I, I think that every year or, you know, after at least the first year, you've got to work your butt off and prove that you're, you're an asset for the company, that you're there, you know, to drive growth. And if that happens and if the company, if the feeling's mutual, then you should get more equity. Um, that, that's, that's how I feel about it, Aziz. Thank you so much. And you spoke about being in a different phase in your life. If you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice in your 20s or whatever, based on what you know now, or if you were 20 today in 2022, what piece of advice you'd give yourself that will make a big difference? Wow, I was... <laughs> 
I, I probably, um, you know, everything, life is funny. It's not linear. I, I didn't have my first real job until I was in my early thirties, Aziz. Um, in fact, I left for New York city, I think at the age of 27 and I started a non-paid internship. I waited tables. I started grad school, you know, 28 and living in New York city. And I had really nothing to show for it for, for the age that I was. And uh, my first real gig, you know, was making very minimal salary at a small agency. Um, but everything worked out. Everything worked out. I Years later, I returned to Houston and making a very good salary for a number of years at different re retail electricity. But I don't think I would have gotten to that point had I not taken the risk of going to New York City and really taking a big chance um, and trying to make it there and get into marketing and advertising like, like I did. So I'm not really sure what I would tell myself when I was 20. The only thing I would probably tell myself is those investment books that you plan on reading, <laughs> read them a lot sooner. You know, let's go ahead and read them now because I didn't start reading about finance and investment until um, I was probably in my 30s. Um, had I read those books and, and, and my, you know, when I was 20, I think I'd be in a, a lot better position than I am uh, right now in terms of, uh, in terms of fina financial. Um, so that's what I would, what I would tell myself, my, you know, the 20 year old, but everything has, has worked out pretty good. Um, I've designed my life, um, you know, just to be a lot more happy and a lot more stress, you know, stress-free. And, uh, it was a big, a big risk that my wife and I took moving to Bucharest in, um, in 2020. And the first year was a big struggle because uh, I didn't have a job here. We were living off one salary and uh, the kids were often home at the same time because of COVID restrictions and, and that. And so you're trying to freelance and uh, trying to get a job or do some work for clients and you're trying to watch the, the, the kids at the same time. And um, it was it was probably a rough point, you know, in our in our lives. But uh, you just, you just kept at it, you know, kept looking at, at the positive things and, uh, over time, uh, landed a role that is very well suited for me with the company and colleagues that, uh, I love working with. It's a culture that I love being a part of. I've got a lot more flexibility. I do feel that I work probably three times as hard as I did when I was in corporate because in corporate, um, I could probably work 20 hours and got all my work done, but here it's like, I can work 50, 60 hours. And I, there's still so much to do. As you said, <laughs> at a startup, you're, you're working, you know, three, three, four different jobs and, uh, it's always busy. There's, there's always ideas and there's always not enough time to execute, execute on those ideas, but I love it. I, I love it. It's, it's fantastic. And, uh, they actually enjoy that. I have a podcast on the side and, um, I'm actually able to kind of combine the two sometimes where I have a, a startup founder that actually complements their service or product complements Bonjuro. And so we'll collaborate on marketing activities and do co-webinars together or email marketing campaigns together. And it's been very, very uh, fruitful uh, those times that we have done this. So everything's been working out great. Um, I would say the past year, and I think the future looks, looks promising. I love this. And so for all the listeners who might be curious about your podcast, who might be interested, can you share what's the idea? What can they expect? 
where can they find it? And I'll make sure to write one of the links in the description. Absolutely. It's called Innovators Can Laugh. They can find it on wherever they listen to podcasts, really, but Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or they can just go to innovatorscanlaugh.com. I interview in a very fun and conversational style, uh, startup founders based out of Europe. And uh, I, I like to look at it as it's part business story, part meditation, and um, also part comedy show, uh, because we do have fun. Um, we have, <laughs> you'll find out quirky things about various startup founders, but you also learn about what they're going through, what struggles that they've had to overcome and, uh, what it is that they're trying to achieve with their, uh, with their startup in the long run. So, uh, you can, again, you can find it at innovatorscanlaugh.com and, um, check it out every week, every Thursday we drop the show. Thank you, Eric. This was my privilege. It was my honor. It was such an enriching conversation, and I wish you a great day. All right. You too, Aziz. Thank you. Mm -hmm.